It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports with Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. It is 8.01 a.m. on Friday morning. 8.01 here in Palo Alto, California. Uh, And it's 10.01 in greater Austin, Texas, and central Texas in the central time zone. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a Friday edition of Light the Tower. On the horn, 1049, 1019, a.m. 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. So glad to have you alongside. Jeff Howe will be along shortly. Our producer behind the glass is Cameron Parker. Cam, how are you doing on this fine Friday morning? Not too bad, Craig. I'm glad it is finally Friday, though. You just said it. So does that mean, like, when we bump back from the first break, you're going to play, thank God it's Friday? You're going to bump back with that? If you that, want me that, to, Craig, if you want me to. I, 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 maybe it's appropriate. Maybe okay. maybe it is okay. appropriate. And, and I always say this, and I will continue to say this, because I know people for whom Friday, traditional Friday for so many of us or many of you, uh, means, hey, the end of the work week, I can chill out, relax, enjoy the weekend. There are many out there for whom uh, Friday does not mean the end of the work week. It might mean the middle of the work week or even the start of the work week in some cases. So I salute you as well and hope that your Friday goes well, even if you're planning to work through the weekend. I'm planning to work through the weekend (laughs) Uh, out here in Palo Alto, California. I'll work tomorrow and Sunday, and we'll see about Monday uh, if, uh, if the NCAA Super Regional Series between the Texas Longhorns and the Stanford Cardinal is extended to a decisive third game. Best of three Super Regional series get underway all across the country. Now, you should know this. This this should clue you in on something. If you are, uh, you know, thinking and hoping in, in all of this uh, about the possibility of Texas uh, getting back to Omaha for the College World Series for a 39th time, uh, extending their all-time record, understand that uh, – of course, first and foremost, they have to win here this weekend. They have to find a way to win two games and three tries against a really good Stanford Cardinal team. And we're going to have more on that coming up. Uh, but if they do, and they do advance to Omaha for the College World Series, uh, I think you can safely assume that their first game will be a week from tomorrow. It would be Saturday, not Friday. And it's pretty easy to figure out, not only because Texas is playing on Friday, uh, Saturday this weekend, but their entire side of the bracket for what would be in Omaha is also starting tomorrow. So today, for example, on the right-hand side of the bracket, the 2-3-6-7 seed side of the bracket, all of those games start today or tonight. Florida. The uh, number two national seed is playing South Carolina, the number seven seed, and they start this evening or 5 o'clock Texas time this afternoon 
in Gainesville. Duke and Virginia get underway uh, um, one hour from now. They'll be starting, and that's in Charlottesville. And uh, so that's so that's uh, going on in that one. And actually, uh, South Carolina would be the 15 seed nationally. Uh, Virginia is the number seven national seed, and playing Duke, which knocked out uh, Coastal Carolina to advance. So uh, you have uh, Florida and South Carolina, Duke and Virginia, and then at the bottom of that bracket, also starting uh, tonight, Oregon and Oral Roberts. Uh, both teams knocking out seeded teams as uh, Vanderbilt was the number six seed and Oral Roberts knocked out the 11 seed, Oklahoma State. And uh, and then that'll match up with the winner of the Super Regional is going on in Fort Worth starting this afternoon at 4 o'clock. TCU, which knocked out the three-seed Arkansas, taking on Indiana State, who is the 14 seed, but who is traveling. And that story's been well discussed and, and uh, talked about by now, about how Indiana State hosted the regional but could not host the Super Regional due to Special Olympics going on in the state of Indiana, not having enough hotel space, they said, and being short-staffed. So TCU has an opportunity, a grand opportunity here uh, at its fingertips as they get ready to host Indiana State. So all of that starts today. And on the other side of the bracket for Omaha, all four of the remaining Super Regionals begin tomorrow. So not only is Texas and Stanford getting underway tomorrow afternoon at 5 o'clock Texas time, Stanford the number eight seed, that matches up with the winner of the Super Regional going on in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, with the number one overall national seed, Wake Forest, playing Alabama, the number 16 seed. And on the bottom side of that side of the bracket, you have the five seed, uh, LSU, taking on the 12 seed overall, Kentucky. That starts tomorrow afternoon at 2 o'clock in Baton Rouge. And then at the very bottom of the bracket, you have another one of those unseeded matchups, uh, like you would have with Oregon and Or Roberts on the other side of the bracket. You have Southern Mississippi, which, uh, of course, advanced by knocking out the 13-seed Auburn and Tennessee, uh, advancing uh, with the uh, Volunteers knocking out the four-seed Clemson. And that Super Regional is in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. So you got Southern Miss against Tennessee. you got LSU against Kentucky. Stanford in Texas and Wake Forest in Alabama. That's on that left side of the bracket, and uh, that will that all gets underway tomorrow. So it is logical, and at this point you could say expected that if Texas were to be able to get two wins here in Palo Alto this weekend, they would start next Saturday uh, in Omaha. But not to get ahead of ourselves because there's an awful lot at stake uh, for the Longhorns, and they have an extremely difficult challenge. Uh, this weekend against Stanford. Coming up at the bottom of the hour in our Longhorn number, we're going to have uh, we're going to hear. I had a brief conversation yesterday with Zane Morehouse, nightmare, the Longhorns closer, and um, he didn't do an awful lot of interviews. He's a he's a pretty quiet kid, and and uh, you know, a, a, a kind of a country kid really. He's from Dawson, Texas, over in um, over in Hill County, and uh, and just 
you know, kind of prefers to keep uh, to himself. He is a good teammate, and his teammates love him, and he, they, uh, he, he enjoys being around them. But uh, but he's he's not much for the interview thing, but but agreed to do it, and we sat down and had a brief conversation. So uh, that we'll bring that to you coming up, and uh, we'll kind of take a closer look at this. We're also going to hear a little bit later on in the program some comments from Dylan Campbell and also from Mitchell Daly. So we'll have that coming up uh, in the uh, in in the second hour in our Longhorn Notebook thing. Uh, it is a Friday. It means we have inconceivable. And uh, there, there's, there's a pretty um, – well, I, I, I thought about Jeff not because of the content of the story, but because I know that he would like the content uh, of the story. Not, not that use of the phrase or words flesh-eating bacteria makes me think of Jeff. It's not that. It's just that I know that he would appreciate a good story uh, like that. And, of course, with it being Friday cam, we know what Friday means when it comes to inconceivable. Got to reach for that low-hanging fruit. Very low, very hanging. It's Florida. We do have a Florida man uh, story, and that has to deal with the flesh-eating bacteria. So we'll uh, we'll get to that uh, coming up. But there's other things uh, to uh, to get to as well. So there, there's a lot of other things in, in addition uh, to the inconceivable um, uh, NBA Finals uh, obviously continue this weekend. Hey, Florida, the Panthers showed they were alive and well in the Stanley Cup Finals last night by getting an overtime goal to beat Vegas. So they're still they're still alive and well. There's Major League Baseball to discuss. Big series between the uh, the Rangers and Rays uh, coming up between the top two teams in the American League, the top two records uh, in in uh, baseball, and and they'll get together as well. Uh, as I mentioned. Uh, not that the mere mention of the words flesh-eating bacteria makes me think of my co-host, but it's just that I know he would have a good appreciation for the story. After all, he is the pride of Northwest Williamson County and a proud graduate of Florence High School. But you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. That would be Jeff Howe. How you doing this morning, Jeffrey? I'm good. I've got nothing to complain about. You know, speaking of things that I like that crack me up and yes. draw my attention. The wife was trying to have a serious, semi-serious conversation with me last night. She and, ought to know better by now. And uh, I look up on the TV, and she's got the TV muted, but there's a it's a commercial, and there's kind of a, a, people in an office conference room kind of sitting around the table. And for whatever reason, there's a cat sitting like up, like a person in a chair and talking, mm-hmm. and like leading this board meeting, which, of course, I thought was hilarious and started laughing. To the point where my wife treated me like she probably treats one of her middle schoolers. She's like, I'm going to need you to pay attention here for just a few minutes. <laughs> I'm going to need you to pay attention. Well, I, didn't, I didn't get to hear what the cat said. I was like, hey, look, he's leading the board meeting. I expected him to have like a portfolio in front of him. Maybe wearing a little bow tie or something. Oh, did you did you give her an answer kind of like the... Uh... Kind of like the Norm McDonald, Burt Reynolds says he's uh, the name Turd Ferguson in the day. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Look at that. It's a cat. Some, something like that. <laughs> um, also, I think I told you guys this. I've, I found a uh, – I just love this. It's my favorite Instagram feed by far. It's called Beavers of Insta. It just shows beavers just doing random stuff like you know, eating carrots or – because you, know, you love it when the animal kingdom uh, attaches itself to human activities. It, it's it doesn't get a whole lot better than that, honestly. It really 
<laughs> oh boy! I think the one, oh, the one that uh, had me it, it literally. I, I was belly laughing the other day. It was a uh, was it a ground? It was a groundhog. I think it was a groundhog that a farmer in Connecticut had realized the groundhog was stealing his uh, some fruit from his garden and vegetables from the garden. So he put a surveillance camera. Well, the groundhog was he'd like steal like carrots or tomatoes or potatoes. And would like go right in front of this surveillance camera and eat the eat the vegetables, taunting them. Yeah. Oh man, I have a short attention span. <laughs> but but easily attracted to to such things, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm very I'm very I'm very juvenile in terms of what entertains me, Craig. Oh, that's good. Uh, no, that's 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 really good. Cam's looking at me like I signed up to do a show with this dude. Like seriously, this is where this is where my career is taking me right now. Did you go down a rabbit hole of a hornet, wasp, tarantula? No, hey, we didn't tell thing? Craig about that. What what were they called? Uh, the tarantula, the tarantula hawk, hawks. Tarantula hawks. You heard about these tarantula hawks, Craig? No, but I love the name. It sounds like a. You know what that should be. That should be a Texas high school football mascot name. You know, somewhere down in South Texas, the Tarantula Hawks. They're bigger, as Cam That's described. And Cam, you said they're bigger than murder hornets, right? I think like, that the pain, they're more painful than a murder Painful hornet. than a murder hornet. These Ooh. things are, like, huge. And they prey on tarantulas. They, like, swoop down and oh, they'll sting see? them, like, paralyze them and then eat them. Yeah. I feel bad for that. And, and, and for folks, you feel bad for it. Yeah, tarantulas are actually pretty helpful uh, arachnids. They they really are. I don't see uh, I don't see many tarantulas down in my region in Hayes County, but I do know that when I did live in Northwest Williamson County, as I told Cam yesterday, the tarantula for whatever it. reason seemed to be a very big player in the uh, ecosystem in Northwest Williamson County. I'm telling you, uh, and, and I lived in what would be I guess it'd be Southwest Williamson County in Cedar Park. And we were maybe two or three years into our home in Cedar Park. This would have been right around the turn of the millennia, 2000, 2001. My kids were young and small and all this. And um, one appeared on the back porch. Now, naturally, it freaks out small children and things like that. And and my late wife at the time, they're all like, kill it, kill it. I'm like, no, not going to kill it. There's, they, First of all, they're not out to get humans. Uh, secondly... They're not poisonous. Third, and perhaps most important, they can be pretty helpful in terms of uh, removal of other insects and things like that. But I was afraid that if it stuck around there, it might bite our dog or the dog bite it or something bad happened. So uh, we captured it. And unlike what I did with the, with the scorpion, because just no real good use for me for a scorpion. And, and Jeff, by the way, recently got hit by a scorpion. I didn't even tell you. you I, took a, I haven't even talked to you since yesterday. I got tagged yesterday morning getting ready. Good Lord. On the, on the finger, on the finger. The swelling is uh, non-existent now, but wow. right on the knuckle on my left index finger. Did, all right, so did you did you exterminate that scorpion like you did the other one? No, that little bastard ran off. I'm still looking for him. Oh, okay. The hunt, the hunt right. continues. I may, I may get some, uh, some eye black and a headband go like Rambo style through the house, like guerrilla warfare on this scorpion. It's still yeah, in your point. house? I guess. Well, that's mm, a little scary. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, I have, the wife and I figured it out. Within the last week and a half, we're probably, give or take a couple, right around 15 scorpions killed. Oh, I don't know. How, wow. how, how do you sleep at night? Uh, I haven't been sleeping very well, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. 
That's that. That's amazing. I I think probably all the years there in Cedar Park, we came across two or three, not many, but but the one that counted was the one that stung me on the leg at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning, and I, you know I woke up like about it was about five fifteen in the morning and woke up and felt it crawling on my leg, and the first thing that came to my mind was scorpion. But before I could even move, it stung me. Before I could even startle it, and that that also made me mad too. But so I got up and had a nice good welt, and they, and that's when I was yelling, God. "I want him alive! I want him alive! Don't kill him!" And there he was in the middle of the bed. So I captured him alive, and and I put him in that little box thing where he had plenty of oxygen, and then put him in the freezer. Got a text on the specs text line, Craig. Texter yeah. says, "I've been stung over thirty times in my life by scorpions." Wow, thirty. God love you. It's Man, a dirty, dirty, you. thirty. Cam, what do you think about that? Wow. That's that's difficult, man. Just to get stung once was it really bothered me. And like I said, I put that one in the freezer and let him die a slow, agonizing, painful death. And, and to answer Bizarro Dale Dudley, um, we did have an exterminator come to the house about three weeks ago, and and cl- okay. clearly, uh, I won't throw the the company under the bus. Obviously, it's nobody that okay. advertises here on on our airways. Uh, okay, but uh, yeah, they clearly did a fine job. <laughs> what they were tasked with doing <laughs> well uh so so what i did with the tarantula was i captured it in a jar and then kind of took my kids on a little uh nature walk went across the road into this wooded lot where there were trails and stuff it's all houses by the way now it's all built up over there development over there uh and uh but i took it over there in the in in down these trails that the kids would go hiking and stuff and walk around, and released it in a hollow log, uh, down uh, over in a wooded area off of the trail, there. So you know that, that tarantulas can be uh, tarantulas can be very helpful. But so you're telling me these tarantula, would you say tarantula hawks? These insects that uh, that, that are that are. Are these tarantula hawks that are coming down and killing tarantulas? Is that the deal? No, they're 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 insects, Craig. They're based. Okay. They look like a a wasp almost. Okay, all right, but they're larger. You're saying? I, I don't think they're they're not that big. They're not okay. from what I've seen, but they just call them tarantula hawks because well they the the female they swoop down the female will lay its larva inside a tarantula and basically just effectively kill it. But their stings apparently will give you paralysis for about five, ten minutes. And it's wow. supposedly, I have not experienced it, so I can't say it, but it's supposed to be the most painful, non-lethal sting that you can ever receive from an insect. So you're not going to die, but you might wish you were dead kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what's the line from from, uh, that Jafar says in Aladdin, you'd be surprised what you could live through. Uh, By the way, Cam, Stoner wanted you to know that uh, I – I didn't go down a rabbit hole. It was a beaver hole. Yeah, that was a great. Hey, oh, uh, so working uh, on my coffee. I, I should have. I sh- that one should have come to my head. So I apologize yeah. to everybody. It's on that note that we should remind folks that the Specs text line is open. Five one two three three seven three seven seven six five one two three three seven three seven seven six. The uh, okay. So, like I said, coming up here at the at the bottom of the hour, we're going to have. Uh, uh, we'll we'll have a conversation with Zane Morehouse, and we'll we'll talk more about that. However, I should uh, just to kind of give folks a little bit of a uh, a preview of things with this uh, Longhorn baseball team. They did arrive here uh, in uh, Northern California yesterday, and uh, the team uh, 
uh, came to the hotel and uh, dropped off their bags and changed into their practice gear and then went over to Archbishop Mitty High School, which is in San Jose, which is just down the road a, a little bit. It's about 20, 25-minute drive, really, from, from the hotel. The reason why I've had several people ask me, why did they practice at a local high school yesterday? Uh, to put it in its simplest terms, because the NCAA would not allow them to practice at Stanford. Not Stanford, the NCAA. There's, there's a rule that uh that that's first of all you should know there's there's a there's a a a rule book a manual that goes for uh postseason play as administered by the ncaa and uh i've had copies of it and things like that i've got a copy of the manual this year and the the manual uh they they kind of use the same not kind of they do they use the same manual for the regional and the super regional. Now that's important to remember because of what I'm about to tell you. They have a completely different manual for the College World Series in Omaha, uh, with regard to certain things and procedures and stuff like that. Um, they have the same manual for the regional and the super regional. And uh, the reason why I, uh, you know, uh, get a good look at the manuals to see what restrictions we have in in terms of the broadcast policy and the things that we're allowed to do now. Granted, after over 20 years of doing these games, I kind of know the procedure, but but they but they they are nuanced. Sometimes things change. Well, in the manual, what the what the NCA rule says about lots of different things, uh, they'll say in the regional, blah 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 blah, and at the super regional, the uh, site director has the option of this and this and this, or the host institution has the option of so-and-so. For example, uh, today is practice day and press conference day. Now, I've always called it that, practice and press conference day, because it used to be called that. It isn't really called that anymore, and the reason why, while the practices still take place, and every team that's involved in a regional or a super regional wants its practice time on the field, uh, you get, what is it, Jeff, 40 minutes in the basketball arena, NCAA tournament. You, you, at a regional, you get 40 minutes on the floor. I think per when you have eight teams at one site for first and second round. I thought it was um, an hour. I think it's uh, it, it was 50 minutes for a long time. And then I think it got reduced to 40. Maybe I'm just thinking about the Big 12. But in any event, uh, maybe it's, it is 50 minutes. But uh, you get an hour and 15 minutes each team at a regional and a super regional. And and they can make it work. Obviously, in Miami last week, each team got an hour and 15 minutes uh, on the field, and you start in the morning, and it goes till late in the afternoon. You get your hour and 15 minutes on the field. And uh, the only ones who kind of got uh, the short end of that stick last week, uh, Jeff, was Maine, uh, and I guess the four seed. Not that they were given less time. It's just that when they were on the field, that's when the skies opened up and it started raining really hard and they had to go inside. And they couldn't finish their work on the field. I don't think that's the reason they went to and barbecue. They were, after all, Maine and uh, and lost to Miami and then got eliminated uh, by Louisiana. But uh, but they didn't get their full hour 15 on the field. They had to finish their workout time in the indoor facility with, with batting practice. So you get an hour and 15 minutes. Now, for the Super Regional – you're down to two teams. Pretty easy to manage that hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and both Stanford and Texas will have their hour and 15 minutes on the field today. 
they this used to be called practice and press conference day. They don't really call it that anymore. Uh, and the reason is, and it's in the manual, it is left to the regional or super regional host to determine whether a formal press conference is even needed. And they don't have to have one. Remember, Jeff, you were with me in Greenville last year. Remember, it was a, it was one big um, clump of reporters gathered together down on the field afterwards. There wasn't really a press conference. Per I was I wasn't there for press conference day in Greenville. That's right. You hadn't gotten in yet. Well, they 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 did that. They did that, and uh, there were several of us talking yesterday during the Longhorns practice about how there was one reporter from Greenville that was just relentless. He was kind of like, uh, the, to hear it described, the leader of the pack of the local media there was unhappy that they had to wait for Coach Pierce, who was required by the manual to meet with the ESPN personnel first. And so he did. And then when he came over and the guy was grumbling and just kept it in the way it was described to me. And Roger said it too. He said the guy wouldn't let it go. He just kept going and kept going and kept going. And they finally looked like, dude, there's nothing to do about it, okay? That's the way it is. So, But they didn't have a formal press conference. Now, we know when, when the Longhorns have hosted uh, regionals and super regionals, they, they have that pre-tournament press conference. And, uh, and, and they did have it in Miami last week. They had a pre-tournament press conference for each team. Well, again, it's at the discretion of the host institution. And uh, it's been decided there will be no formalized press conference today, but that each each team's media relations uh, uh, director or media relations contact, in this case Kevin Rodriguez for Texas, will make Coach Pierce and, and players available to media. So they'll do it. They'll do it down you know, on the field by the dugout after the practice, that kind of thing. So that's an example of how things can be flexible and moved around uh, between the regional and the super regional, which brings me to yesterday. The Longhorns wanted to practice at Stanford late yesterday afternoon or early yesterday evening. Now, in the manual, it says, uh, you know, that, that the four teams – are not allowed to practice before the actual practice and press conference day due to, you know, they don't have enough time to do uh, all of that uh, the day before the actual practice and press conference day. But there's only two teams. So Texas contacted David Esker, the head coach at Stanford, and said, would you guys have any problem with us using the field? That's a common courtesy that happens during conference play. You use the team's facility the night before the game. Texas extends it to the teams coming into Austin, and and other teams do it when Texas, I, you know, people have seen posts from me, social media, when uh, the Longhorns have been in Stillwater this year, in Fort Worth, in uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where I've done, Fullerton, you know, where anyway, where we've, where we've posted that stuff the day before. So – Texas requested that and said, could we do it? And David Esker said, yes. Stanford said, sure, you can use our field, no problem. NCA said, no. They said, no, you can't do it. Uh, it, it. It would be an unfair advantage. And and everybody looked at me, unfair advantage to who? To Texas? Over Stanford, who's already practicing on the field today? Where's, where's the advantage or disadvantage? But anyway, that's uh, supposedly there's a lot of folks that are right by the book 
here. So T- even though two A, you're trying to apply apply logic to an illogical situation. Yeah. So so they said that's okay. Whatever. We'll we'll uh, and through some connections, they went over to San Jose to Archbishop Mitty High School uh, in San Jose. Uh, interestingly enough, that I think I don't know if he's the athletic director or uh, uh, coordinator, or whatever. The uh, with Archbishop Mitty. A gentleman there that was a longtime baseball coach at San Jose State was there, and he and David Pierce knew each other really well from when Coach Pierce was at Rice. Uh, and there were other people that knew uh, uh, people. Uh, Chris Gordon, Longhorn's assistant coach, knew uh, some of the people there. So it was it was a lot of fun yesterday. They went out and they had a really good uh, practice yesterday. But this field was pretty interesting. I haven't seen a field quite like this before. It was well manicured, a great uh, you know the the outfield and everything. It was natural grass. Natural grass, which is what Texas wanted, a natural grass field, obviously, in dirt, because that's what they'll be playing on uh, tomorrow at Sunken Diamond. And uh, it had all of that, with a couple of exceptions. The base paths from home plate to first and third to home were field turf. The rest of the infield was dirt, the dirt infield, plus the the grass in, in the interior of the infield, like normal. That just sounds like, regular sounds like somebody was doing a bit when they put that thing together. I, I, well, I, I, yeah, in, in where they were able to uh, keep the cost down, I think. You know, because of the ma- I've heard Keith Moreland say this a lot, that the, that the maintenance that it takes to do those, those baselines from home plate to first and third home is a lot more labor-intensive than you might imagine because the way it's got to be mowed and maintained and all that stuff. So they had field turf in between there. So that was unusual. They had um, they had a batting cage that was – I know both you guys will, will appreciate this. Um, Jeff, when you, go to, when you go to coaching school, but, but even for you as well, Cam, when the, when the two of you guys are – when you watch the state high school football championships, what is one of the most striking elements that you see at that event or in the exhibit hall? It, I'll I'll just jump ahead to the end and tell you the answer. It's those big inflatable things, right? That the teams run through the big inflatable tunnel deals. Yeah, and for sure. And, and they're and and they're pretty pretty creative. I think one of the most creative of all time was the big gigantic zebra for the Grandview zebras, and all that. Well, they, uh, Archbishop Mitty has an inflatable batting cage. And it's it's like you had the real the, the the screen the netting of the cage itself, but all of what would be the support bars were like an inflatable, like you'd run through it like a tunnel. So the coaches were fascinated by it. And Caleb Longley, uh, Longhorn's assistant, was saying, "Yeah, it's through a company in Las Vegas that they do it, and it's and it's not cheap either. It's like somewhere around uh, eight thousand dollars or something. One of those, but it was." It was pretty cool, pretty interesting. They all thought it was – now it did deflate a couple of times <laughs> once when Cam Constantine was taking swings and they had to reinflate it. Um, but it was but it's pretty cool. And then the thing I liked the most, they had uh, – the the foul lines were kind of short. They We, we asked a, a couple of the uh, a couple of the folks with the school, and they said it was about 270 down the left field foul line. And about 235 down the right field line. Hey and now. about 280. Yeah, and about 280 to center. And the reason for that is there were houses and administrative buildings beyond the outfield fence and groves of trees. We were told they actually had to move the fences in a little bit. It was around 300 or 310. They had to move it in because of the roots of these old trees that had been out there. But the best part of all of it was 
beyond the left field fence, and I, I posted this on, on uh, my Facebook page, there's a goal post. And the reason why is because the outfield doubles as Archbishop Mitty's football practice field. Their football stadium was well beyond the right field fence and on way on out there a little bit, the right center. And they had a nice football, nice little, uh, you know, private school football stadium. But but their practice field was the outfield. So there was a goal post beyond the left field fence kind of facing back toward home plate. So I looked at that, and I said to Dylan Campbell when he stepped in to take his swings, I said, hey, D.C., why don't you see if you can put one through the uprights? He said, if I do, does it count for three? You know, and um, there was a Longhorn who did put one through it, and I was trying to remember who it was. It might have been Kate O'Hara. Somebody somebody did it in batting practice. David Pierce did not want his team, you know, going for cheap home runs in practice. He wanted them to work on line drives. He said two reasons. One, we want to try to continue working on line drives, and two, uh, he will run out of baseballs otherwise. <laughs> Um, uh, Ace Whitehead put two beyond the right field fence off of the uh, out into the field, but most of the time they were just you know swinging live drives. So it was it was an interesting field, but they got in a really good workout yesterday. Hey Craig, would you like to know the? uh, Would you like to play the game of the most famous alum from Archbishop Mitty? Cam and I did this a little bit yesterday. Tell me, who is it? Uh, You probably got uh, your pick of let's see, Kerry Walsh Jennings. Okay. Of Olympic beach Great volleyball. Beach fame. volleyballer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You've also got, let's see, there was somebody else I was looking at here. Brandy Chastain. Wow. Okay. All uh, right. Yeah. Looks like it's going to be a, a two. Oh, Aaron Gordon of the Nuggets. So, okay. Take your pick there between those three. Well, it is, it has been one of those outstanding total athletic programs in the state of California. And we know what a lot of those are, obviously, uh, you know, uh, from De La Salle and Encino Crespi and, and uh, several uh, St. John Bosco and a lot of those down in Southern California. But uh, Junipero Serra is up here, and that's a, that's a really good one, uh, high school athletic program. And then, and then there's Archbishop Mitty. So, yeah, so they got their workout in there. Good practice yesterday. And uh, they'll have their 75 minutes on the field today on the farm uh, as they call it over there at Stanford. All right, when we come back, we'll have our Longhorn Notebook. Uh, We'll uh, hear from uh, Zane Morehouse, and uh, then we'll get you ready for the rest of this Friday, of course, alongside Jeff Howe and also Cam Parker back in the ARN studio compound. Craig Way with you out here in Palo Alto, California. And this is Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. Love the bass voice on that. Let's hear it again right here. Thank God it's... <laughs> That's a uh, great voice there. It is Friday here on Light the Tower on the Horn. Craig Wade, Jeff Howe with you. The big question this morning, could Jeff Howe disco if he needed to? 
Negative Could Ghost you? Rider. No, not down with that. I think you can do that. No okay. concept of the disco era. Okay, all right. So this was right in the wheelhouse of it there. But we were just making the the uh, connection here because it is. Disco was dead by the time I was brought into this world, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) I understand. Uh, All right. uh, It's time now for our first hour Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. Now, uh, Jeffrey, before we get to the uh, conversation here with uh, Zane Morris, did you have, uh, was there something else that that was brewing here in the notebook this week? I'll, I'll save it for the next hour. Okay, all right, because all we have next hour, we just have a couple of quick comments from uh, one from Dylan Campbell and one from Mitchell Daly. So uh, we'll do that. But um, uh, like I said, the, uh, the, the Longhorns had their uh, practice here yesterday uh, at, over at uh, Archbishop Mitty High School, and today they'll be uh, on the field uh, at Klein Field at Sunken Diamond is the actual full name there, uh, there in Palo Alto. And they'll be headed over there. I think their practice time will be what will be 3 to 4.15 Central time this afternoon. I think it will actually. I think it's 1 to 2.15 local time here on that. Uh, right at the conclusion of practice yesterday, I got a, a chance before the team got on the bus to get to get a few words uh, with, with a guy we haven't, visited with that much and that's Zane Morehouse and uh it's for a variety of reasons uh and and not the least of which is he normally is not the biggest fan in the world of doing a lot of interviews and 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 Jeff you've you've visited uh with uh, Morehouse before haven't you you and the, the 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 reporter gaggle I mean I know the opportunities have not been that frequent but you you've had a, a, at least an opportunity or two to to uh, visit with Morehouse, haven't you? In the maybe, past? maybe once or twice, briefly. Nothing yeah. that stands out to me, though. Right, exactly, because because, and that's kind of the way he prefers it. Um, and uh, but, um, I you know, coming through what he's come through, and and you think about it. Here's a guy from Dawson, Texas, which is over there in in rural Hill County on the east side of Hill County. Like you're heading up to Corsicana uh, there from Waco uh, or Hillsboro, and uh, he's uh, you know went to two different junior colleges as we know, uh, and uh, and then and then has had his ups and downs. Has had some brilliant moments both as a starter and as a reliever for Texas, and then he's had some absolute rock bottom moments. And I think all of us can remember the Saturday afternoon game in Waco against Baylor, which was almost two months ago to the day. So, uh, you know, and, and it, he's been through some difficult things. Um, obviously, confidence is, is some of it, but his teammates supported him all the way through. And then uh, David Pierce mentioned the other day how sometimes it can be the smallest of mechanical adjustments to make a difference. And and Woody Williams, pitching savant that he is, and the Longhorns pitching coach, have been carefully monitoring, studying a lot of that. And so they've worked with Zane pretty recently, and the result was really impressive what he did down in uh, Miami in the Coral Gables Regional. And so uh, with that in mind, as the team was getting ready to head the bus, I had an opportunity to just uh, ask a few questions of Zane and get his mindset and, and his thoughts of, about what he's come through and getting ready for this Super Regional. One of the uh, obvious first questions everybody always asks teams that he always 
this time of year how they feel and how they're feeling physically, especially it goes for pitchers. So uh, with the amount of innings uh, that you've logged this year, you feel pretty good here as we head down the home stretch of the season? Yeah, I um, feel pretty good. feel solid, you know, feel strong. Uh, really excited to get out there this weekend, you know, real big situation, you know. Not everybody gets to go to a Super Regional, so that's really big. And all the guys are really excited, ready to go. You know, one thing that I always hear pitchers talk about is – confidence and how important it is in terms of not just the mechanics of what you're doing and things like that but uh, was there a situation where you called on your inner strength to help supply the confidence for what you've been able to do over the past few outings um i would definitely like to give a shout outs to my teammates for that honestly because uh you know when i was struggling there for a little bit each and every one of them came up to me and was like hey we believe in you like you got it it's going to turn around eventually you're going to make the adjustments and that really gave me a lot of confidence going into the next outings and then you know the rest is kind of history yeah and and i imagine you're one of those guys that helps try to pick up another teammate when they might be going through some struggles yeah definitely because um i mean this is my fifth year in college and been around the block a lot so i've seen a lot of things and being able to help them out a lot is it's a something i definitely take pride in one thing coach was talking about is sometimes it's just the smallest of adjustments mechanical adjustments would that also one of the things that helped really flip this for you yeah, definitely. Um, me, Gordo, and Woody, um, we made a couple of small small adjustments, and it's helped out a lot. And then that backed up with the confidence from my teammates. I think that's where the overall successes came from the last few weeks. All right. I've been in Dawson, Texas before. I've been in Hill County. So how different is Northern California, for folks who don't understand that, from, from anywhere in Texas, let alone, obviously, Dawson? Oh, it's completely different. It's definitely a culture shock if you ever get to experience it. Um, <laughs> it's kind of wild. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> he uh, he. It, when I first started to ask him that question, Jeff, he just started laughing, uh, and uh, and 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 so then that kind of tickled me a little bit here. But here's a guy who started off at Dyersburg State College in Tennessee, then he went to Bossier Parish. I actually started Bossier Parish, then went to Dyersburg State, and. Um, and then uh, here, he, here he is, uh, as he said, a fifth-year guy. So he's kind of been around a little bit and, uh, and, has, and has been through the ringer a little bit as well. But uh, is in a uh, – had it described to me as a really good place mentally, both confidence-wise and just uh, as a teammate and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and you like to see that. You like to see good things happen to guys uh, who especially have had – the struggles and try to get through it and and uh, we know it has always been it, 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 uh, hasn't it always been Jeff the the deal where you say there's no question about the stuff <laughs> that always comes out because he's got that mid-90s fastball and he's got when it's working a devastating slider best slider on the ball club uh, when when he's got command of it there but but the key word obviously is command on something like that yeah and it, it frustrates the staff uh, it frustrates the player because you've seen him do it. And, and the one thing you keep hearing, you, you heard this with LBJ. Excuse me, until he got kind of got right, you know, towards the, the middle part of the year. And then halfway through Big 12, he's in the rotation. And we saw what he did last weekend in Coral Gables. But that was the thing that David Pierce always said about LBJ. Look, there's no, there's nothing wrong with his stuff or really the mechanics. It's just, it, it, can you do all that stuff repeatable? Can it be right. become repeatable? Can it become second nature? 
And can you just get to the point where you're not really thinking about anything? You're just up there. You're, you're just pitching. You're just trusting your ability. Uh, like you said, Craig, that, that slider for him, his, his off-speed stuff, his breaking ball, it can be a wipeout pitch for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, your the hope is – I think it's easier for starters – to uh to maybe if you have a bad outing to kind of get back up on the horse because you know you're going to have an extended leash whereas if you're a bullpen hand you know the next time you're going to be out there most likely is in another high leverage situation so I think the mental part of it for guys coming out of the bullpen is a little bit rougher but uh, you gotta you gotta respect the way that you know Zane's kind of gone through it and and you know contributing to this team uh, Travis Stelly's going through to I me mean, every I think every single mm-hmm. person in that bullpen this year. Every single person on the staff, too, because, I mean, you know, as good as Geno's been, you know, he had the game out in Fullerton, and he, he's had some games mm-hmm. where he wasn't as sharp the as he would. The game at Kansas, yeah, he's the Friday some, game. Some games where he wasn't as sharp as he would want to be. So that's that's the thing, though. If you can just keep getting back up on the horse at some point, if, you, if you've if you got the stuff and you've got the mechanics, if, if you put the work in and everything becomes repeatable and then it becomes second nature, then you can, you can get to that point where you get over the hump. LBJ. Another example of that, a guy who had bounced between midweek and, uh, starter and bullpen guy and then weekend starter, and he'd had some struggles. But, again, some minor adjustments but also a confidence thing, and and it makes a big difference for him. And if those guys pitch like they did in Coral Gables last week, those three guys that you mentioned in specific, they're going to need more than three, but, I mean, if those three guys in specific, Lucas Gordon, uh, LeBaron Johnson, and Zane Morehouse, if they if those three pitch as effectively as they did last week, and then Texas definitely has a chance. Uh, no question about that. Uh, before we get to the break, a couple of uh, congratulations uh, go to a couple of NCAA champions, uh, uh, Leo Nugabauer and uh, Akili Smith uh, were uh, NCAA champions. Nugabauer uh, did a tremendous job in the decathlon set only not only the NCAA meet and Texas record, but the NCAA collegiate record. And so uh, he is he's done a tremendous job. And then Smith also winning the long jump. So uh, that that's important. And and for folks who are keeping uh, track of this, um, in, in, you know, in terms of, you know, what what are the chances of of uh, you know, winning a uh, winning a national championship. Uh, the women's team certainly has an opportunity uh, to do that. Uh, and then I know some folks are also uh, interested in seeing uh, what the chances are of repeating uh, winning a third straight Directors Cup. Uh, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff. I think going into the NCAA Track and Field Championships this weekend and the Super Regional out here. The combination has to be something along the lines of the women, I think, pretty much have to win the national title, and they they are ranked number one. Uh, the men have to have a, a, a decent showing. Baseball out here, because it's a head-to-head competition with Stanford, who, who leads the overall Directors' Cup competition, the Longhorns would need to win the Super Regional, get to Omaha, and maybe win a couple of games, finish no lower than like a tie for fifth, I think. To have uh, to to be able to surpass Stanford, so those are the odds, and the odds may be against it, uh, but it's but it's good going into these very late spring sport additions here as uh, we draw closer to the actual start of the summer that they still have a shot to do that. I think, so. Craig, that Stanford would clinch the Directors Cup if yes. they defeat Texas this week in the Super. That Regionals. is correct. Cameron is right. That yes. is correct. Yep, yep. One of one of the uh, 
uh, you know, one of the prerequisites for trying to make it three in a row, Texas will have to win the Super Regional here. You're right. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see how it all goes. All right. Coming up, we do have Inconceivable, including a Florida man story that will uh, make your flesh crawl, literally. Uh, that's next when we continue with Life the Tower on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Here's what it means, or at least some of what it means anyway. Jeff, we're all very aware of the authoritative authoritarian and oppressive government that is running North Korea, correct? Kim Jong-un, right? Mm -hmm. And and how difficult. Well, now, perhaps, comes the most oppressive and authoritative edict of all from the ruler, the leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un has made it illegal to commit suicide. He's, he's banned suicide, calls it an act of treason against socially, uh, socialism. Uh, the number of suicides in North Korea is believed to be skyrocketing. And Kim has told local authorities to take action to prevent people from killing themselves. He issued a secret order to local authorities that would ban suicides after data showed the numbers were skyrocketing. Now, the exact number of suicides in North Korea... It's difficult to ascertain as the regime rarely offers insight into their shortcomings. However, uh, the South Korean National Intelligence Service estimated in May that suicides had increased by about 40% from the previous year. So Kim has called it an act of treason against socialism in the directive. And you people better stop killing yourselves. It's against the law. What he said that if this continues that local government officials would be held jointly accountable for failing to prevent people from killing themselves in their jurisdiction. So, huh. for those of you, you should know, you know, can't kill yourself. Well, so. that seems, seems, I mean, if somebody somebody does it, how are you going to punish them if you ban it? Cause, Hence, it's an inclusion in today's inconceivable yeah. file. So. You know? <laughs> yeah. How are you going to do that? So that's why I dropped it in there uh, on that. Was it Kim Jong-un or was it his dad that lied about, like, he made a hole-in-one on a par five or something? Yeah, Kim Jong-il, I guess it was. Was it it the dad that I can't remember which one that that did it. Hole-in-one on a par five, Kim. Happy Gilmore style. Yeah, that's That's how that happened. Probably just not possible, but it's all right. We'll give it to him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would say anybody Um, going to cheat at golf, you're you're just a dishonorable person. Um, cheated golf. I wonder what a, yeah. a twosome between him and Donald Trump would be like. Ooh. It would be the lowest. Driving road. on the greens, just dropping your ball in the yeah. hole. Say, it would be Put the, me down for a two, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, here's some more jurisprudence for you here. Uh, officials from the TSA, the Transportation <laughs> why Security. Like, why do I feel like that would end like the, uh, the bowling alley scene in the Big Lebowski where it's like, give me a marker. I'm marking it an eight. You marked out an eight, you're entering a world of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Think I'm messing around here, Market of Two. <laughs> and 
if you had Big Lebowski on your uh, reference on your uh, Light the Tower bingo card, you can now mark that off today. <laughs> the uh, officials from the Transportation Security Administration, the TSA in South Dakota, stopped a passenger from getting onto a plane at the Sioux Falls Airport. Uh, the reason why they stopped during the routine screening of carry-on luggage Tuesday of this week, a TSA officer at the Sioux Falls Regional Airport spotted a silhouette of a handgun on the x-ray screen. So they pulled it out. Yeah, it was a handgun and fully loaded. So somebody was taking a fully loaded handgun through security. Uh, and you say, well, that's not that unusual. Yeah, especially at the Sioux Falls Regional Airport, Jeff. You see, it's the fourth time this year it's happened. A total of nine firearms have been confiscated by authorities at the same airport uh, there. Uh, and the TSA recently announced the penalty for bringing weapons to an airport has increased with the fine being as high as $14,950 for a single infraction of the law, depending on the circumstances in each case. What did Barry Switzer uh, get hit with many years back yeah, when he did that? Uh, I think he got a, a – there might have been a fine. It wasn't 14950 bucks. He was detained uh, for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, why? Why are you taking a loaded handgun through security? And so, anyway, uh, there's that. Um, meanwhile, a, a traffic – uh, stop happened in South Carolina, North Myrtle Beach, near where I go on vacation. I, I have and, Craig actually with Barry Switzer. So this was from the AP, December third, nineteen ninety seven. He pled guilty to a misdemeanor, uh, fined thirty five hundred dollars, given one year deferred adjudication, uh, meaning if he completes probation successfully, the charge will be erased from his record. So there, there you, you go. Yeah, yeah, thirty five hundred dollar fine. Okay. Um, in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, one of their officers is being celebrated after a traffic stop led to the rescue of a woman allegedly forced to drive a shooting suspect away from a crime scene. Uh, it happened on Wednesday, so they have a Facebook post for for what they call Way to Go Wednesday. Uh, Officer Wallace, it says, for her actions, she conducted a traffic stop on a white Jeep that went through a red light in an intersection on the highway. And while talking with people in the car, Wallace noticed the woman that was driving the Jeep appeared distressed. And when the man in the passenger seat wasn't looking her way, the driver looked at the police and mouthed the words, help me, multiple times. So the officer caught the woman's message, removed the man from the car, placed him in the back seat of the patrol vehicle. They went back to the Jeep, spoke to the woman who frantically told her that the man had just shot somebody. So afterward, dispatch, Put a bolo, you know what a bolo is, be on the lookout. A Indeed. Bolo. Yeah, a bolo alert uh, out over the radio for a car that was involved in a shooting inside the Waterway House, which is a restaurant in the area, and the man identified as 29-year-old Collins Bates. That's one of your shady name things, Collins Bates. So do you put, a, do you put a, a bolo out on a vehicle and an APB out on a person? I think that's right. Yeah. That's right. Be on the lookout. For, yeah, it says for a car. That's a, You're exactly right. Uh, gun found in the car matched the caliber of the casing found at the scene of a shooting. So she was uh, celebrating. It was nicely done for her. Uh, got two things for you here. One, runners near Superior, Colorado are having a hard time just running on the Boulder Open Space Trail uh, and the Metal Arc Trail. 
It's a Boulder Open Space Trail, but it's on the Metal Arc Trail. The reason why they're having a hard Metal time. Metal Arc Lemon, former Harlem Globetrotter? Uh, no, just the Metal Arc Trail. Okay. But um, the reason they're having a hard time doing this, Jeff, and my brother sent this story to me, um, they're being accosted by or attacked by cattle. There's cattle in the area, and a runner this week was attacked by a small herd of cattle. Uh, 15 to 20 cows Sounds rough. surrounded this woman, and most seemed to be mothers with their calves. Uh. The rangers responded within 15 minutes. The runner taken to the hospital, but trail users have been reporting aggressive cattle. Uh. So be on the lookout. A bolo look for aggressive cattle in Colorado. Just understand that. Angry, angry cows. Don't want to mess with that. Okay. It is Friday. It's Florida Friday. So here reach, we go. Reach down, Cam. Grab that low-hanging fruit. Scoop it up off the ground. Because here it comes. Uh, a Florida man had to undergo emergency surgery. By the way, this took place in southern... Pinellas County. Hill, Hillsboro. Damn, I'm close. No, no, no. No, no, you're right. Pinellas. I beg your pardon. Pinellas. Southern Pinellas County, near Riverview, Florida. Uh, A Florida man had to undergo emergency surgery to address a potentially deadly flesh-eating bacterial infection. You say, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, go out in the water, you never know. No, no, it had nothing to do with that. Donnie Adams of Riverview first developed a small painful bump on his left thigh two days after... He was trying to intervene in a tussle between two of his family members, and he was bitten. A person's bite caused this. He was, by uh, a couple of days later, he's barely able to walk, had to be taken to the hospital for emergency surgery, where surgeons had to cut out around 70% of his thigh to save his leg and possibly his life. Doctors at HCA Florida Northside Hospital said they never before seen a case of the flesh-eating bacteria known as necrotizing fasciitis. Uh, it's it's also a band playing in Austin this weekend, necrotizing fasciitis. But they've never seen uh, an example of flesh-eating bacteria caused by a human bite. Speaking of the relatives involved in the fracas he broke up, Adam said, the parties involved are very sorrowful, you think? <laughs> Somebody bit him when he was trying I'm to break saying. up a fight. Family members, and he gets a flesh-eating bacteria. If I'm breaking up a fight and somebody bites me and I lose 70% of my thigh, somebody's getting their ass whooped as soon as that leg heals. Yeah. He said they felt very sorrowful. No, no yeah. word on whether he made them feel sorrowful. Even if they take the leg and i gotta, I got to whoop you with a stump or a prosthetic, somebody's going to feel my wrath. <laughs> there it is. All right, there's your inconceivable. That's hour number one of Light the Tower. Second hour coming up on the Horn.